It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Welcome to a very happy Rico Bronia. Hoffman, are you happy? I mean, I don't think happy really um, defines what I am right now. I think I'm. I don't even know if there's a word. It's just like yeah, no, euphoric. there's a word. You're there's a word. P- Pete Hoffman's pissed drunk. That's what he is right oh, now. But that's what it is. You yes. can be, <laughs> you can be pissed drunk and happy all at the same time. We as Med fans are very, very happy because what occurred over the last four days in Queens was, let's call it like it is, was an ass whooping. That's what occurred. Maybe we didn't realize it at the time when Atlanta responded with that victory in game two and they jumped all over Taiwan Walker. But what we saw in that doubleheader on Saturday, what we saw on Sunday was an ass whooping. Now, I don't have enough balls to sit here right now and say the division's over. I'll leave that to Sal Licata. He's done that numerous times. But what I will say after this weekend, I'll say a lot of things because this Rico may last forever. One thing I'll say is the New York Mets took the National League East by the throat. They grabbed it. They sent a message loud and clear to the Atlanta Braves. And right now we are in full, full control. I put out a poll right before this series started and said, what do you think is going to happen? Three out of five, lose three out of five, win four out of five, lose four out of five, sweep the whole thing, lose all five. And most people, I would say, had confidence. You had confidence, Pete. I know that. But it was a lot of, they're going to win three out of five. They went out and won four out of five. And quite frankly, they kind of left no doubt. Let's be honest about it. The bullpen made things a little bit dicey in game one on Saturday. But for the most part, this was a straight-up ass-whooping. And the tone setter was Pete Alonzo. And Pete Alonzo opened this series setting the tone. He closed this series setting the tone. Pete Alonzo had a tremendous five-game series against the Atlanta Braves. And don't worry, I did the math for you. He had a hit in every single game. He was 8-for-19. He drove in seven freaking runs. He hit a home run, even though the Mets weren't hitting home runs the last few games of this series. No big deal. They'll just dunk you to death. They'll double you to death. They'll clutch you to death. But Pete Alonso, from the beginning of this series to the close of this series, reminded the Braves and reminded us, not that we needed a reminder, that he was the best player on the field. That as good as Austin Riley is, as good as Ronald Acuna can be, the best player in this series offensively was Pete Alonso. And I say offensively, Because the other difference, the other tone setter, where things would have been different two years ago, or things would have been different 10 years ago, or things would have been different in 1999, was this closer. This closer responded. Obviously, the six-out save was huge. It was a pain in the ass that he had to come in on Saturday after Yoan Lopez couldn't get anybody out. But you know what? Here's the great thing. He came in and he got outs. Because I've seen things in the past, we all have, where whether it's Jairus Familia or it's Billy Wagner or it's John Franco or it's Armando Benitez or any other closer you want to pick, they will have these days and they seem to happen at the most inopportune time. Edwin Diaz did not have one of those days because whether it was the six out save on Thursday, whether it was cleaning up Lopez's mess and leaving no doubt 
Look, he could have come in and made that thing interesting. He could have come in and given up a double to William Contreras, but he didn't. He got two outs and said, let's get the hell out of here. We have another game to play. And then, again, look, I know it's not a one-run game, but he comes in in the finale of this series against the top of the order, and it was bing, 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 strikeout, strikeout, strikeout. Edwin Diaz, three saves, three and two-thirds innings, one measly hit on a pitch at Eddie Rosario's eyes, seven strikeouts, no walks. Edwin Diaz was brilliant. And look, I can't tell you what's going to happen in October. None of us could tell you what's going to happen in October. But Edwin Diaz has had some dress rehearsals for October. He has. He's had quite a few of them. Obviously, the six-out save Thursday night may be the biggest of them all. But so far in his dress rehearsals for what may be October baseball, Edwin Diaz has been filthy. And so, look, there are other guys, obviously, Jacob DeGrom, which we'll get into, Max Scherzer's brilliant Saturday night. I'm even going to throw a, a bone at Joely Rodriguez, who pitched the game of his life on Sunday. But those two guys specifically, the best offensive player, Pete Alonzo, the closer, Edwin Diaz, they were elite in this series. And there's a long way to go. I understand that. There's still 58 games, 59 games, whatever it is. I guess less than that because the Braves have played 110. So 52 games left for them, 53 games for the Mets. And there are still seven games between the Mets and the Braves. I understand that too. But right now, the Mets feel like the better team. And I'll take this a step further. And I think all of us, to varying degrees, have had these grandiose statements about this Met team over the last few days and last few weeks. But from my eyes, in 1986, I didn't have eyes on. I was three years old. But from my eyes, and this doesn't mean they're going to win the pennant, doesn't mean they're going to win the World Series, just I'm judging the 109 regular season games they've played. This is the best Met team we've ever seen. And I don't think that's crazy. Because what are we comparing it to? 2006? 2015? 99, 2000? Look, I could pick apart all of those teams and tell you why on paper and performance through 109 regular season games it really isn't particularly close when you look at the dominance of the closer, when you look at this rotation, which hasn't really included Jacob DeGrom until the last week, and when you talk about this offense. And Pete's going to apologize to you because Pete Hoffman was hitting the panic button about this offense a few weeks ago. Hey, Evan, since June 7th, they've done this, this, and this. Well, let me just say this, Pete, before you respond. Against the Atlanta Braves, the big freaking bad Atlanta Braves. Ooh, Kyle Wright, Spencer Strider, who will rip it a second. What a whiny bitch he is. Max Fried. Oh, here's what the New York Mets did six runs, six runs, eight runs, six runs, and five runs. They kicked their freaking ass. So I'll ask you, Pete, with the legend of Vogelbach here, with the great Darren Ruff here. James McCain even got a big hit on Saturday. What the hell? You worried about this offense, though? I am not worried about anything. I, I, I'm highly impressed. The team has overperformed in this past week. I, I, I can't even believe what I'm seeing right now. That's how good of a team this New York Mets is. And it's it, it, listen, Evan, you're right. I jumped the gun. I think a lot of fans jumped the gun. But it's the old ways usually sticking back in. And you have to re remind yourself that this is a different 
organization. And, and that's my own fault, too. Look, we, we've all done it. I, I tell you the moment, and I think this is a good line of demarcation in this season, where I started to be very worried. I think I may have alluded to this on the Rico right after the San Diego series, that my dad even texted me Saturday night after the Mets lost to the Padres, and they opened up the second half of the season by losing 4-1, to one, they couldn't hit you, Darvish. By losing 2-1, to one, they couldn't hit Blake Snell, and they couldn't hit the Padre bullpen. They scored two runs right out of the gate at home against San Diego. Well-pitched games, they just couldn't hit. And when you couple that with the loss against the Cubs to end the first half of the year, the Mets had a three-game losing streak. Their lead in the East dropped to a half game Saturday night. And my dad texted me, this is our last day in first place. And... I'm not mad at him. I don't blame him. There certainly was that sense, especially facing Joe Musgrove the next night in Sunday Night Baseball. But that was the line of, all right, I think we're in trouble. Uh, The offense hadn't done much for a while. They did nothing in that Chicago series outside that first game where they pounded out the eight runs. They were getting shut down by real good pitching against the Padres. And even though at 58 and 37, you're not necessarily panicking, the lead's down to a half game. And I think that text message my dad sent wasn't just him. I think there were a lot of Met fans that may have felt, oh my God, this is over. We're going we're gonna to drop out of first place and never see first place again. I remember common Met fans down, not that they weren't going to lose first place. I always thought they would, but that just because you drop out of first place doesn't mean you'll never see it again. And when you had the New York Yankees coming up a few days later, I think going into that Sunday night game against San Diego, on a three-game losing streak with the lead down to a half game, that was the moment of, uh uh-oh. Now, let's look at what's happened since, why don't we? They beat the Padres on that Sunday night. They sweep the New York Yankees, who, by the way, don't look very good right now. They sweep, more on that on the fan, not here. Uh, They sweep the Miami Marlins impressively. They do their job against the Nationals. They win two out of three. And now this. So if my math is correct, I think since that moment of this is our last day in first place, we'll call it that, the New York Mets are 13-2. and And oh, by the way, they beat up the Atlanta Braves head-to-head, so we all know what this lead is now. It ain't a half game anymore. It's seven in the loss column, six and a half overall. So, look, I don't know if we're going to go back and say June 23rd, July 23rd is when everything turned. But I think that night against San Diego, I think it was the height of our paddock, if you had it, whether it was about the offense, in Pete's case, or just overall about this team. But they've responded. And that's the reminder. This team has responded every freaking time they have faced adversity or faced a question about how good they are. So the one thing I will say is this, is that Mets fans, first of all, the fact that San Diego, we've played terrible against. Like, you looked at the two series we played against San Diego – it's been brutal, so you have to give a little bit of a of a of a, a pass to Mets fans that the, the nerves come out through those two series. But on top of that, too, again, like I said, the Mets fan is so bipolar. We've been used to the ups and downs. We've been used to the not enoughs. So for us during the trade deadline to see that we didn't get the big bat, we didn't get the left-handed pitcher we were looking for, the ball for the bullpen. It didn't seem like enough. So for us to to be worried about the next two months, 
was 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 reasonable. The, no. How do the bats look now? By the way, how does uh, Darren Ruff and Daniel Vogelback and Tyler Naquin look for you right now? Just Amazing. right now, things can change. Amazing. I mean, I mean, they're they're locking it up. I mean, Darren Ruff. I've never seen a better right-handed batter in my life. No, st- <laughs> stop. <laughs> look, I. I I, I liked what Billy Epler did at the trade deadline with those bats. They are leaning into being a platoon team. We brought up the numbers last week. When you combine Ruffleback, uh, rough against lefties, Vogelback, uh, rough against lefties, Vogelback against righties, you see an incredibly productive player, singular player when you combine them, and certainly more productive than Dom Smith and J.D. Davis. The concern I have, and certainly this weekend didn't you know, alleviate it despite the wins, is the bullpen. I don't think there's any question. Uh, there is still, and I hate to knock out Avino because he's been great. He was shaky on Saturday, but ultimately he got the big out when he needed to. There's really nobody in this bullpen you could trust outside of Edwin Diaz. And I think that's still the thing that hangs over this team. Sure, you could tell yourself Tyler McGill can come back and be a big contributor, and he may, or Trevor May is going to figure things out. But overall, the bullpen, you know, you didn't leave this weekend against Atlanta saying, you see, this bullpen's great. Because it's not. Every time Michael Givens is out there, he's shaky as hell. But what the Mets were able to do this weekend was overcome it. And that's why when you go back to game three, and when we talked obviously about the first two games of this series, if you missed it, there's an episode of Rico Brown. You're right after the Braves beat the Mets in game two of this series. So we'll focus when breaking down these games on the final three games of this series. By the way, three games, the Mets all won. (laughs) But game one of the doubleheader, you've got David Peterson doing yet another tremendous job. He is the best swing man you could imagine right now. Sixth starter, you need him with doubleheaders. You're probably going to need him just to give your veterans an extra day. Every time the Mets have asked David Peterson to step into this rotation, he's done an outstanding job. And that's why... I was surprised with the state of this bullpen and the fact it was the first game of a doubleheader that Buck was in as much of a rush to get Peterson out of this game as he did. That's my one knock. I mean, Peterson throws 81 pitches. He strikes out the first hitter in the sixth inning, Matt Olson. Travis Darno's coming up. I know it was on base twice, but it was a hit batsman and a walk. I was surprised knowing it's a doubleheader, A, I mean, You know, even with Max going in game two, he's not going nine innings. You're still going to need guys to get a couple of outs. That he was in as much of a rush to take Peterson out. And even though it didn't immediately hurt the team because Seth Lugo came in and got a couple of outs, didn't give up a run, it was the fact that you went from asking your bullpen potentially for nine outs to saying, go get me 11 outs. And we've talked about this before. And I know regular season game, David Peterson is a swing guy. It's not the perfect example. But push your starting pitcher just a little bit more, especially when you have a bullpen you don't trust. And, and look, what really, I don't say screwed them in the game because they won the game. It was tremendous. They built themselves a 5 nothing lead and were able to hold on. But what hurt them is the rush to the bullpen. Lugo was shaky when he came back out for the seventh inning and let the Braves creep closer. Adovino gave up the big hit to Matt Olson, but think about that. Adam Adovino came into a game to face Matt Olson. That's not ideal. That's not exactly the lanes that you want. Just to think of Aaron Boone when he used to talk about, well, we got to get Adam Adovino in the right lane. Can you imagine Adam Adovino in that lane? And that's not a knock even necessarily on Buck. It's who are you going to? 
You don't trust Joely Rodriguez. More on him later. So you you have a bullpen built in a way in which you're going Adam Adovino against Matt Olson, who came through with a hit. But Adovino got the big out when he needed to. The Mets' offense, which was so key in this, because think about it. You have a 5 nothing lead. The Braves rally to make it a 5-2 to two game against your bullpen. If your offense goes away and does nothing, you're going to sweat this going to sweat this thing out, but the Met offense was able to answer right away with the three runs in the seventh inning, specifically James McCann. I mean, I, I'm stunned. I mean, call me crazy. James McCann, who sucks, comes through with a huge RBI single, and it was a big hit, not only for his psyche, not only for my psyche, but in this game. But the offense bailed them out because now they have a comfortable lead. Now Buck says, all right, let me steal three outs from Yoan Lopez. And they couldn't even steal three outs from Yoan Lopez because he gave up five straight hits or four straight hits. And I don't blame Buck for going to Edwin Diaz because I think at that point, when you have an 8-2 to two lead and things are getting dicey, you can't mess around. You got to get the victory. So I, I was just surprised in a doubleheader, knowing you don't have the deepest bullpen in the world, why not try to push David Peterson a little bit more? Now, you know you have Max Scherzer, but Max Scherzer's brilliance, even on Saturday night, is still seven innings. You're not getting nine innings out of him. I don't think Max Scherzer's had many complete games over the last few years, and that's okay. But again, what the Mets were able to do was build a big enough lead. They took advantage of the Braves' crappy defense in the second game of the doubleheader. Dansby Swanson's committing errors. He committed one in the first inning. Mets didn't make him pay. Commits the error in the third inning when they're trying to turn the double play on Darren Ruff. The Mets do make him pay because it basically led to two runs. They add the insurance run in the sixth inning, and that's what was so important, that the offense was able to give enough wiggle room that when you hand the baseball to your bullpen in the eighth inning. They're not protecting a one-run lead because your offense barely got Max Scherzer or anything. They're protecting a four-run lead. And by the way, in that game, the second game of the doubleheader, how about that play by Luis Guillerme? That was what was so great about the Guillerme play, which if you missed, was the ground ball to second. The Met infield was back. And Guillerme, I wouldn't even say baited Travis Darno to run. I think Travis Darno was running. And Guillerme throws him out at the plate. It was such a great play by Luis because it wasn't even a physical play, other than making the throw, obviously. It was just think about what was going on for Guillerme mentally to be on top of this game enough to make that play. The infield's back. They're trying to turn two. That's why the infield's back. They're trying to turn two. Michael Harris is running on the play. So right off the bat, you know, hey, I'm probably not turning two because Harris is running. You feel the ball. You have enough knowledge of who the base runner is, Travis Darno, not the fastest guy in the world, to actually throw home, cut him out at the plate, when I think in the moment you're thinking, hey, ball's hit to me, I'm trying to turn two. Harris is running, trying to steal second, or really it's a hit and run. He makes the play, Guillerme, throws home. Max is the happiest guy in the world because Luis Guillerme stole an extra non-honored run for Max Scherzer. Luis Guillerme has proven he's got to play every day. Second base, third base, his instincts, his defense. I know he made that one error the other day. That was weird. But his instincts, his defense, his ability to give you a quality at bat, even if he's going to take an 0 for 3 or a 1 for 4. No one's mistaking him with Rod Carew. But he does enough to help you win. And that was a tremendous play 
by Luis Guillerme, who's become the everyday third baseman. Let's face it, he is. Unless there's a lefty on the mound and then Escobar plays, Luis Guillerme is the everyday third baseman. I would say that if it's going to be a slight on Luis Guillerme if the Mets don't win a World Series because this. No one's ever going to remember how good he's been defensively, offensively, in clutch situations. He has been one of the, the quintessential pieces to this Mets team. And no one's going to remember it if they don't win a World Series. Because he's been so clutch. And it's, they all rely on Alonzo, Lindor, Scherzer, Diaz, now DeGrom. He's going to be that, like, that, that, that last piece of the puzzle. Not if he goes uh, nine for twenty-two in a World Series. <laughs> if, he, if he Cody Rosses the World Series and gets hot or makes some kind of Brooks Robinson dude, defensive play, dude. How about the play at second base to get Dar- like you said, like, the play at second base to get to get Darno? It is ridiculous. He has been so amazing defensively, offensively. He comes up clutch every freaking day. And, it feels like. And if if you're gonna get enough offense elsewhere, you can live with a light hitting defensive first third baseman. And look, look at this series. Look how many runs the Mets are scoring. And I know Thomas Nito has run into a couple of big hits, including that suicide squeeze, which was awesome on Saturday night because he lays down bunts. He leads the world in bunts. Tomas Nito does that better than anybody. But they're not getting great production from behind the plate. They're getting a lot more production out of DH, which is the key. And so, and, and by the way, they weren't getting a lot of production out of third base anyway because Escobar wasn't having a great year. And Guillerme is just so good defensively. Look, it's not even a debate anymore. He has become, very quietly, the everyday third baseman for this team. And then when Escobar does play, we've seen McNeil sit. And Guillerme move over to second base like we saw in the second game of the doubleheader when he was able to make that incredible instinctive play. Uh, but guys like that are really, really important. And he's going to be really important, not just for the run this season, but for the future. I mean, a guy who can play anywhere defensively, a guy who can give you those great quality at-bats, he's outstanding. And look, Max, I, I think it becomes almost forgettable when Max Scherzer goes seven scoreless innings and strikes out 11 because you expect it. I mean, that should be the lead from the second game of this doubleheader. The fact that Max Scherzer took the baseball and was filthy, and was dominant against a really good lineup in a really big spot, a chance to win this series. And Max Scherzer took it, and and it's incredible what he's done. He's not going to win the Cy Young because he missed too much time on the injured list, but Max Scherzer is putting up Cy Young numbers, and he's doing it at this age, at 39 years old, 38 38 years old. I don't want to make him any older than he is, but he's having statistically, one of the best seasons of his career. And that excites me because it's like, yeah, we got this guy to a three-year contract. Just like Justin Verlander in Houston, there's no signs that he's going to slow down. So let's cherish it. Let's enjoy it. But Max was amazing. And as I'm watching Max dominate Saturday night, I'm thinking to myself, holy crap, Jacob DeGrom's going to pitch tomorrow? So we go from this this spectacle of Max Scherzer to Jacob DeGrom. And another thing about Max Scherzer, and I know it's early, and by early I mean the season isn't over yet, have we ever seen a Mets free agent signee perform at this level in year one? You know, because for my money, Hoff, the best free agent signee in the history of the New York Mets is probably Carlos Beltran, just based on performance. 
Well, we all know what he did his first year here. He wasn't very good. He had to overcome his first year here. So is there anybody better in terms of first-year performance as a free agent than this? The only person I would say is compatible is Johan Santana because if you recall 2007. Not a free agent, though. I don't count them. Uh, okay. All right. They traded for him. They tra- I'm talking true. about. Carlos Gomez, you're right. I'm talking about straight-up free agent signees. I mean, they've traded for guys, obviously, that have performed well. But this is a big-money contract free agent signing. And, dude, mean it's Jason like the- Bay? <laughs> yeah. Dude, it's more that than anything. <laughs> when you think of Met free agent signees, usually it ends bad. But even in Beltran's case, who overall was a really good Met, even though some Met fans may not ever really appreciate that. Which retires bad. number? No, no, no. I'm not getting there. And then you think about all the other Hall of Fame pitchers that they've added over the years late in their career. They added Tom Glavin late in his career. They added Pedro Martinez late in his career, who, by the way, probably fits it well, the the idea of a free agent signing who performed well in year one. Pedro's first year with the Mets was by far his best year. But it ain't as good as this. I mean, as good as Pedro was in 2005, Max Scherzer's better. But he's probably the answer to the question. Now, hopefully Scherzer's remaining years are better than Pedro's remaining years because it was all downhill after year one with Pedro Martinez, mostly because of health. But you think about all the Hall of Fame pitchers the Mets have added late in their careers. Tommy Glavin, Pedro Martinez. Here's Max Scherzer, who, you know, how many starts has he now made for this team? It's uh, 15 starts. 15 starts into his Met career, and we all we, we all love the guy. But, that, but, but Evan... This is why, and I'm not saying this is why the team's going to go bad the rest of the season, but this is why a lot of fans were a little disappointed with the lackluster trade deadline because we feel like this team is like a pinnacle. It is. This is like an ultimate New York Mets team that we've never seen before. You want to add on. And they it feels like they didn't do that. They well, they did went, offensively. Look, you've seen it over the last eh. five days. They didn't in their bullpen. That's the problem. It's the bullpen. It's not the offense. I'm sorry. Eh, but the off- the, but listen, you and me could disagree to disagree. The offense was like an upgrade, but did they re- they upgraded a little bit. They could have gone the jugular. They didn't do that. I don't know, man. We'll see. I mean, I'm not I'm not going to sit here bitching about Vogelbach and Naquin and Darren Ruff because if used properly... I'm not just talking about what they've done over the last week, but if used properly, they're incredibly productive offensive players. They're certainly more productive than what they had at DH, and you don't necessarily need to start every position. You need production at every position. The bullpen thing is going to scare me. I tweeted it out over the weekend, and of course, I got Met fans saying, enjoy the moment. They're winning. I am enjoying the moment and winning. I love it. I'm concerned about the bullpen. I'm probably going to be concerned about the bullpen until, you know, the parade occurs if there is one. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Uh, what do you want me to do? Of course, I'm going to be concerned about this bullpen. What is it? Did anybody watch this series and say, this middle relief is better than we thought? No, it sucks, but they may be good enough to overcome it. And that's the exciting thing. Did you Did you feel at any moment that David Peterson, listen, he performed well. No one's going to complain about his performance at all. But did you, prefer, did you feel at any moment that he can come in in a bullpen moment, in a big time spot, and so, close out a bullpen spot. So, 
so here's what's going to happen, I think. David Peterson is in the minor leagues right now. He's going to make a couple of more starts, and then he's going to come back because the Mets have another doubleheader in a few weeks against the Philadelphia Phillies. The Mets have a lot of off days throughout September, and we'll see if this is a, a close pennant race or if the Mets can actually really run away with the NL East 2015 style. If the Mets are healthy, and that's obviously a major key, Jake continues to be healthy, Bassett, Carrasco, Taiwan Walker, who had that scare. If this team is healthy, I think what we're going to start to see in September is Buck Showalter use David Peterson out of the bullpen. More auditions. He's not a failure just because of what happened against the Yankees. Didn't work against the New York Yankees. He came in and five pitches in gave the game up, as we know. But I think if the Mets are healthy, we're going to start to see Buck Showalter use him more out of the bullpen and just see. And I think we'll have a better view of what David Peterson can be in October based on what we see from him in September working out of the bullpen. Same thing with Tyler McGill. So I think for now, Peterson has a really valuable role on this team. Number one, when they play a doubleheader, they need him to make starts. And number two, if anybody goes down with injury, anybody in this rotation goes down, David Peterson steps in. So I think we have a few more weeks of that before, okay, everything's great. Let's check him out in the bullpen. But I can't answer that now because he's made two bullpen appearances. They weren't very good, but we also see a guy who has pitched so well in the rotation, who has a slider that's getting swing and misses up the kazoo. He's got potential to be a weapon out of this bullpen, no doubt about it, because they're desperate for a lefty. I think they're so desperate for a lefty that when I saw Jake McGee was DFA'd, my thought was, why the hell not? Bring him in, because the only lefty is Joely Rodriguez, who I know pitched great on Sunday. And speaking of Sunday, packed house, not quite a sellout, which I was a little disappointed with, but okay. Packed house, rainstorm delays the start of the game by 30 minutes, and we get Jake. And we did get that intensity I was hoping for, the standing ovation coming out of the bullpen, the standing ovation as he walks out to the mound. And it is comical how ridiculous he pitched it really is you you would expect him to look human and he doesn't the only thing human about Jacob deGrom is the health concerns that's it I mean he's missed time and I think all of us are going to be kind of nervous every five days that you know we're going to hear an MRI is coming out or oh there's soreness here there's soreness there Jake's going to be pushed back it's not that serious don't worry oh wait a second it is that's the only thing about Jacob DeGrom that's human. But when you watch this guy pitch, like we saw in the finale of this series, it was like man against boys. I mean, first pitch, little fly ball to right field. Strikeout, strikeout. Second inning, strikeout, strikeout. Third inning, strikeout, strikeout. Fourth inning. And and I'm thinking about the perfect game. Of course I'm thinking about the freaking perfect game because I always think about perfect games. But I also knew what we all knew. There was no shot, rightfully so, by the way, that he was ever going to get a chance to pitch a perfect game. We knew that. We knew his pitch count was going to be at 75 or six innings. So it was fun and it was amazing. And I was getting those goosebumps of, oh my God, this guy's retired 12 in a row. He's retired 15 in a row. But I also knew they're going to take him out. And I have to admit this. There was a part of me in the sixth inning that said, just give up the hit. Because I know there were going to be some Met fans, not a lot, 
who were going to just destroy Jake for taking himself out of a six-inning perfect game. Like, oh, you see? Well, he's protecting his ERA. And by the way, one guy who would have said that is Joe Beningo. And that's what we're going to fight about one of these Saturdays because he's become anti-Jake and, you know, I'm pro-Jake. But here's the point. He was never going to get a perfect game. So my thought was just give up a hit. Now, little did I realize he's going to walk Andreanza on five pitches and obviously Dansby Swanson made him pay and that would be the end of his day. But brilliant performance by Jacob DeGrom. He teased us. He showed us all of what we've been missing over the last year and he showed us what could be. And obviously the hope is he's going to be able to throw more than 75 pitches and eventually we'll see Jake push to 100 or 105 and he won't wear down in the sixth inning. But it was everything you could have dreamt of from Jake. And now you just hope he stays healthy and that there's no report over the next few days that he's feeling some kind of soreness because he is not human to watch. And I don't care what anybody tells me. You give me any story you want about Doc Gooden or any story you want about Tom Seaver, this kind of domination, have we ever really seen it? I mean, I remember Pedro dominating in the late 90s against a bunch of steroided up guys, and obviously Koufax did it for a while, but I'm talking about 2021 to just the first two starts here. Like, he had a 1.10 ERA, whatever the hell it was. Like, we are watching domination at an incredibly high level, and I get he's not going nine innings. A lot of that is the product of the game, though. It's not a product of him. You know, it wouldn't be fair to, to Doc Gooden and say, well, he didn't pitch the way Christy Mathewson did. Christy Mathewson pitched every two days. He's soft. I mean, it's a different era. It's a different world. I think we all understand that. Obviously, Jacob DeGrom is not going to be a 300-inning pitcher, let alone 200-inning pitcher. Well, I think it's the opposite. He's not going to be a two, a three. Yeah, whatever. Bottom line is, it's a different world. But we are watching a guy when he pitches where you almost have to pinch yourself and say, is this real? And that's why I send out a prayer to the baseball gods. Keep this beautiful human being healthy. Find a way to do it. But the one thing that could top Jacob DeGrom's brilliance was that Joely Rodriguez came in. <laughs> I'm kidding. Nah, Joely was great. I was stunned by that. I understand why Buck went to him in the sixth inning and he got Matt Olson out. But when he gave up the leadoff hit to Austin Riley, I'm thinking to myself, this game isn't over. You know, 5-2 sixth inning, when you've got to go to this bullpen, and, you know, who's available? Adam Onovino, is he available? Can Trevor May pitch a back-to-back? Like, I think there was a lot of, at least in my mind, questions on who could even help secure those last 11 outs. I figured Diaz was available. I wasn't worried about that. But Joely Rodriguez pitched his best game as a Met, and it was really important. And jokes aside, he deserves a lot of credit because that you're up three runs against a really good offensive team, and they've got 10 outs to work with. I mean, let's not act like, well, it was 8-1. to one. It wasn't. DeGrom gives up the two-run home run to Dansby Swanson. It's a baseball game. You got Acuna coming off the bench, and you knew he'd be used in a big spot, and he was, and he hit the ball well, but the ballpark held it to right center field. And he gets through the seventh. He pitches a 1-2-3 eighth, and he's able to hand the baseball off cleanly to Edwin Diaz for the 1-2-3 inning. Really great performance out of Joely Rodriguez. It doesn't change my view on him. doesn't make me think, oh, they, they're fine from the left side. They got Joely Rodriguez. No, it doesn't make me think that. But the guy deserves a lot of credit. But what also happened in this game is the Mets did an outstanding job against uh, 
professional bitch Spencer Strider. Now, you may be wondering, why are you calling Spencer Strider a bunch of names? You just called him a bitch? Like, why? Because of the mustache? No, it's because this guy opened his mouth after the game. And here's what he said. Spent, this is from Justin Toscano. Justin Toscano, actually, I think used to cover the Mets. Now he covers the Braves. Justin got, got Spencer Strider to say, uh, to discuss his outing versus the Mets. A lot of weird hits. They seem to be having a lot of luck right now offensively. That's great. It's August. We'll see what things are like in October. First of all, who the F are you? Like, seriously, if this was Max Freed, who's done something, I'd respect it. I'd say, ah, oh, you know, Max Freed, Game 6, World Series, all that. I get you. I mean, Spencer Strider's having a tremendous year, but this guy's opening up his mouth, talking about, well, we'll see what happens in October. Like, dude, who the hell are you? You barely pitched last year. You never even pitched in October. So, number one, Spencer Strider is doing the big, tough October talk, but that's not it. Little bitch Strider had more to say. Strider on why the Mets are so good at grinding out at-bats. I'd love to hear this. Let's see his fair analysis. I don't know. It helps when they're getting calls and 1-1 counts turns to 2-1 counts instead of 1-2 counts and stuff like that. When your batting average on balls in play is 330, 340 as a team, it's tough to get quick innings and get quick outs. <laughs> this guy's bitching about the strike zone. Oh, my God. Again, who the hell are you? You've been in the major leagues for five minutes. Look, you're having a great rookie season. Uh, no doubt. I mean, Spencer Strider's having a fantastic season. He's striking out like 14 guys a game. So I'm not knocking for what, what he's accomplished this season, but you've been in the majors for five minutes, and you're attacking the Mets. As, Let's get this straight. They're lucky. They're just a bunch of lucky hitters. We'll see what happens in October as if he has experience with October, and then he's bitching about the strike zone, which I agree, C.B. Buckner ain't great, but Spencer Strider's out here talking like, oh my God, I'm getting screwed all day. Shut your mouth. Who the hell are you? Uh, I have a question for you, because you talked about the fact that Max Freed faced Max Scherzer, right? We talked about that a little bit. Do you think it was a detriment to the, to the Braves that Freed was so adamant that he had to go up against Scherzer because that would have technically put him in a, the Braves in a better situation if Freed did not face a Scherzer but faced somebody else. He faced would have faced else. David Peterson who pitched five and a third scoreless innings. Yeah. <laughs> it may not have mattered. I mean, obviously, the Mets had to go to their bullpen. Look, I, I, I'm a, a proponent of you put your best against their best and you try to win games. You know, when you're facing David Peterson, who's a swing guy anyway for the Mets, you got to hit him if you're Atlanta. Look, I think a big part of why the Braves struggled in this series is outside of bombing Taiwan Walker in game two, they didn't hit. Now, they did show a little bit of fight in a lot of these games, down 5 nothing. Ooh, it's 5-2. Like, they did show a lot of fight, but they couldn't hit David Peterson. They couldn't hit Max Scherzer. They couldn't hit Jacob deGrom. So, listen, I got no problem with that. You put your best pitchers up against the best pitchers. And you try to win games. Because you give yourself a better chance to beat Max Scherzer if Max Freed's on the mound. You just do. If you put Jay Godorizzi up against Max Scherzer, I mean, unless Jay Godorizzi pitches you seven scoreless innings, you don't have as good of a chance to win that game. So, 
I got no issue with that. I got respect for Max Fried. The Mets have done a good job against him in the past, but Fried has kind of shown his mettle in big spots before. And, and now we're talking about the fact that, like, you know, Max, you know, Max Fried, Jake Odorizzi, Odorizzi couldn't finish the fifth inning. I got to be honest. I looked at the, this Atlanta Braves team, and listen, I'm not trying to give them a pass in any sort of way. The Mets played a great series, four to five. It was fantastic. They really hit the ball well. But Cunha Jr., not looking very healthy on the field, too. He looked a little, little limping around. Uh, or reason can get past fifth. They look a little depleted. They look, look a little injured. Is that, is that, is that a is that Who a gives a crap? No, but I'm just Who the hell gives a crap? But but is that a poor estimation of that, of how this team looks? Do they look a little weak? Well, they looked weak because they were getting mowed down by Jacob DeGrom, Max Scherzer, and, yes, David Peterson. Ronald Acuna has been injury-prone now over the last couple of years. He's a tremendous talent. He's a tremendous player. But all you got to do is look at his numbers this year. When he's played, and I get it, he's coming off a major, major injury. But when he's played, he hasn't even been close to what he used to be. And Acuna had a bunch of hits in this series. He had like six, seven. He was probably one of their best offensive players. And then on Sunday against Jacob DeGrom, all of a sudden he isn't feeling right. Now, I believe he's been injured because I think he told one of the brave reporters the other day that his knee's been bothering him. So I know that he isn't 100%, but he sits against Jacob DeGrom, and all of a sudden in the seventh inning, he feels good. In the seventh inning, he's like, hey, hey, Snitker, I'm good. You can send me in now. Yeah, why is that? Why is that, Ronald? Why, why are you feeling good now? Oh, the DeGromitis went away. Ah, I see what happens. Look, the Braves are the Braves are a very good team. I acknowledge that. This is why I've expected a battle in the National League East. But in this five-game series, and really in the last eight games they've played, the three games in Atlanta a few weeks ago and the five games here, the Mets have been superior. And that's weird to say because we're not used to that. We're not used to thinking the Mets are superior to the Braves. When have we ever said that? Even the four-game series back at City was a split. It was an even split. But they go into Atlanta and win two out of three. And guess who was injured and depleted then? The Mets were. Starling Marte didn't play in that series. Jeff McNeil, not that he was injured, but didn't play in that series. Jacob DeGrom didn't pitch in that series. So you're a good team. You overcome stuff. And, yeah, the Braves are dealing with the fact that Ronald Acuna's banged up. But you know what? They may have to get used to that. Because Ronald Acuna's got to prove he can actually be healthy. He missed a lot of time last year. They overcame it. They won the freaking World Series. Good for them. That's the ultimate dream. And this year, he hasn't been that same productive player. But what's really cool is that the Mets in winning the 6 of 8 in the last eight games they played against Atlanta, they have set themselves up where they've got seven games left with Atlanta. Now, granted, they're all on the road, including four coming up in a couple of weeks and then three to close the season. If they can win two of the seven games, two of the seven games, hopefully they can accomplish it during that four-game series and just get a split there, they would win the season series. And winning the season series usually doesn't mean all that much. It's, oh, they won the season series. But nowadays, winning the season series is a huge effing deal because if you win the season series, that's your tiebreaker. There's no play-in games. There's no playoff games. It's strictly all about tiebreakers right now. And if the Mets can win two of the seven games remaining with Atlanta, they would win the season series, which means the Atlanta Braves would have to finish with a better record than the Mets, not the same record as the Mets. And right now they're seven back in the loss column. They'd have to surpass the New York Mets. And that is huge. The Mets have put themselves in a spot as we sit here on August 7th 
with about two months to go in the season in which they are more, more than ever before, because even in June, it's still early, more than ever before, even with a 10-game lead, the Mets have put themselves in prime position to win this freaking division. That's the fact. Those are the facts. That's the bottom line. Even more so than being 10 up, because when they're 10 up, it's early, and there's a lot of time. Well, now all of a sudden, you look at that calendar, and there's not as much time as you remember. All of a sudden now, there's only 50 games left in the season. You're in that final third. And the great part about what this Met team has accomplished is that they haven't had sustained losing streaks. They haven't. Now, the Braves, too. In fact, I should throw this out there. How could I have a Rico without mentioning it? The Atlanta Braves lost today. It was their third straight loss. That had not happened all season long. For the first time this season, the Atlanta Braves lost three games in a row. Hadn't happened all year. But what the Mets have pulled off this season, and if they can keep this up, they're going to win the NL East. Simple as that. What they have been able to pull off is they have not had stretches where they've lost 10 out of 13. I'm not taking a shot at the Yankees. They'll be fine. They haven't had stretches where they've lost 10 out of 15 like the Yankees are going through right now. Now, for the Yankees, they built a big enough cushion where standings-wise, it doesn't. it's not a big deal. You know, you could analyze how they're playing, absolutely, but standings-wise, which is really what it's all about, it ain't that big of a deal. But the Mets have been so wildly consistent this season that they have put themselves in a spot now with a seven-game loss column lead in the National League East where if they can continue to be as solid as they've been, they are going to win the division, and that isn't something we've seen a lot of. In my lifetime, I've seen two division championships, 2006, 2015. And look, 2015, they got to the World Series. I love that team. Right now, this Met team is better than that team. This Met team is better than the 06 team. This Met team is better than the 99 or 2000 team. Now, hopefully, that continues in October. But right now, with a pace of well over 100 wins, something I've never seen in my lifetime, we are witnessing the best Met team we've ever seen. Can they keep it up? Here's the challenge. The Cincinnati Reds come to town. And I'm not joking. It is a challenge. Because they didn't have a letdown against the Chicago Cubs when they went to Chicago after the Atlanta series. But you just had 40,000 people in your building rocking for five consecutive games. I don't know what the crowds are going to be when the Reds come to town, but it ain't going to be rocking the way it was against Atlanta. The crowd should still be good. I would hope they are. But it's different. And let's see this veteran team say, you know what? No big deal. We're going to respond anyway. Because the Reds are a team you're supposed to beat. Phillies have obviously been a lot better. They got a bunch of games coming up with them. But the beauty of baseball is you just had this emotional five-game series. Now you got three more against the Cincinnati Reds. Go take care of it. And if they could take care of it, well, we're all going to be very, very happy over the next couple of months. And then we'll start debating geeky playoff rosters things, which I can't wait to do. I want to talk about that stuff. That's what I want to talk about. <laughs> like, one thing I want to bring up, I'm not going to do it today, maybe we'll do it on the next podcast, is Mark Hanna's inability to be a pinch hitter. That's a tease for the next Rico Bronia. But today, we're not talking about it because the Mets took the Atlanta Braves' ass and they spanked it. 
That's exactly what happened. So every Med fan, smile. Mock your Yankee fan friends. Remind them, oh, wait a second. I thought you guys had a better record. What happened? You can do that. You can have some fun. And then hopefully our fun continues over the next few weeks. But a great series win against the Braves. Four out of five. I'm not sure how many of us expected that. A nice, comfortable lead in the National League East. And a reminder to the Atlanta Braves, hey, guess what? We're pretty freaking good. Don't tell Spencer Strider. He thinks the Mets are just lucky. We'll give you another Rico Bronia after the Met Red Series, which will end on Wednesday afternoon. So sometime Wednesday night, but it'll definitely be inside your download inbox or whatever the hell you want to call it by Thursday morning. We always promise it for you that morning. But Met fans, it's a good time to be alive. Thank you for listening to a happy edition of Rico Bronia. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronia podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. <laughs>